get right into the message tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is the third week that we've been spending in this chapter, and I'm sorry if I broke, if I interrupted anybody's prayer. It's a hard thing to do when you hear praying. I love. I was telling Brother Lee, I love to hear the the murmur of prayers across the uh, auditorium. That's a blessing to see God's people praying together. So, uh, but First Samuel chapter 15. This is the most well-known chapter of Saul's life, and it's the pivotal chapter for him. And that's why we've been spending some time in this chapter discussing. Uh, some of the issues of disobedience. Now, we already, I'm not going to go into the whole uh, verse 3 issue again of the genocide that God commanded. We, uh, we, are not, we don't ever put ourselves in the position of defending God in the first place. All right? It would be uh, utmost absurdity for mankind to uh, start questioning why God does things. But we did spend some time in it. If that's something that's of interest to you, you can go back and and listen to that on, uh, on our channel, but uh, we, we uh, won't rehash that. But I want to get to the second message tonight that we have about the disobedience part of this passage. We're going to start at verse number 13. This is right after uh, Samuel came to meet Saul, after Saul disobeyed by not uh, smiting the Amalekites like he should have. And we're going to start reading at verse number 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me that this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Boy, that's a powerful verse. When you were little, God promoted you. Now you're big, or you think you are, and you're making some really bad choices. When the Lord sent, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, didst fly upon the spoil, and is evil in the sight of the Lord. Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the chief of things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Here's the verse, we all know it. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Father, I pray you'd help us in these next few minutes. We'd grab something that we could use in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's uh, Saul immediately, when he was called out on his sin, did what so many sinners do, started making excuses. Uh, instead of acknowledging it, he tried to excuse his sin. Like most people, he overrated his excuses. Uh, he thought they were good enough to fool Samuel, but they only fooled himself. That's what excuses do for the sinner. The excuses that a sinner makes will fool himself far more than it fools the people around him. And so the excuses that Saul gave, uh, there were two, two different parts to it. Who did the sinning? He didn't take any blame on himself. I mean, he immediately shifted that on the people. People who are w willing to justify themselves are just as willing to throw you under the bus or other people. They, they're just as quick to throw somebody else, uh, put the blame on them. 
So it was interesting to me, if you remember a few weeks back, Saul was glad to take the credit when the Philistines were killed in chapter 13. Remember that? Oh, he took all... In fact, Jonathan actually did it, and Saul took the credit. But as soon as there's blame coming down the road, he's passing that on to other people. Uh, that, that, that happens all the time still today. Most folks, or many folks, are not willing to take responsibility for anything in their lives. You just listen to uh, the the diatribes on talk shows and all kinds of things today, you'll hear that people are always shifting uh, the blame to other people. Uh, they don't like the blame, but they do like the credit. The search for someone to blame is always successful. You will always find someone or something to blame. Now, it is not worthy, usually. It's not true, always. Uh, the reason people... Blame, they don't want to assume it on themselves uh, uh, for sure, but that's why they blame it on other people. I've, I've read this statement today. The reason people blame things on previous generations is that there's only one other choice. You, the current generation. So we like to blame the last generation. It's mom and dad's fault. It's their, you know, the what, what's the statement now that you guys like to use? Boomers. You know, we, we blame the boomers. Uh, we have, we, we like to blame different different uh, generations, we don't want to take the blame ourselves. You'll never solve any of your problems in life if you do not accept the blame for things. We don't accept responsibility. We have to be responsible. So who did the sinning? Secondly, why did he do the sinning? Then he tries to soften the rebellion by saying that the animals were kept to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. So he's put, he get, Samuel calls him out on his sin. And so Saul reaches down, picks up his halo, puts on his halo, and now he starts to say that he did what he did to honor the Lord. I wanted to give sacrifices to the Lord. He would justify the disobedience of keeping the animals, saying he did it for God. His argument is that the ends justify the means. Exactly what Pastor Forsberg said a while ago. You don't do bad in order to be able to do good. Uh, that's what just, end justifies the means. means it's okay to do something wrong, if the final result is something good. That is not Bible. That's not a Bible uh, principle that the Bible ever justifies, even though it's a popular excuse to do evil today. The Bible does not condone sinful acts in order to achieve a good end. Evil conduct can never be sanctified, ever, for any reason. So uh, this, was a, this was bad excuses he was offering up. Then look at the arguing, verse number 16. I think this is funny. Saul, Samuel said to Saul, stay. I wondered about that. What does he mean? Stay, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. Um, so I'm just going to put that in our vernacular that we understand. Shut up. That's essentially what he's saying. That's a bad word, so I'll say stop talking. That's what he's essentially saying and stay. Saul, Saul, you're not making it any better. Stop talking, and I'll tell you what God says. He had to interrupt Saul's excuses. And people who make excuses often monopolize the conversation. Have you ever noticed that? Those who are excusing their own, uh, their own sin often keep on talking, whether they're just trying to convince you or whether they're trying to convince themselves or they reiterate what they're saying. They know as long as they're talking, nobody can rebuke them. And so Samuel's like, stop! You've said enough. I'm going to tell you what God said now. It's a filibuster of failure. I think that's a great way of putting that. So Samuel had to interpret uh, or interrupt Saul to uh, speak the truth and rebuke him. Then he reminded him of three things that begged the question 
In verse 19, wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? And he reminds him of three things. First, his anointing. In verse 17, if you look, and Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? So this stresses the responsibility of Saul to obey God's commands because especially if we are in a leadership position, it is all the more important that we obey, that we're obedient. Young people, uh, if you have younger brothers or sisters, it's all the more important that you obey and set a good example. It's just it's the way that life is. With great power comes great responsibility. You know who said that? Who made that quote? You know who made it, didn't it? <laughs> yes, Spider-Man's uncle. That's right. So I figured you guys would know that. Great theologian that he was. Uh, this, this makes Saul's failure totally unacceptable because of his position. He should have known better. You're in charge. You're the one that God put over. But like Saul, our disobedience is generally not because we cannot. It is because we will not. And we can make all the excuses in the world, but it comes back to we just aren't going to do it or we choose not to do it. So reminded him of his anointing. Secondly, his abasement. Look at verse number 17. Again, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel. Now, it could no longer be said about Saul that he was little in his own eyes. He was at one time, but he was big in his own eyes now, and God was small in his own eyes. Classic, classic human problem. If, if we elevate ourselves and diminish God, we're always headed for trouble. And that's what our society has done, by the way, in every way that they can, in the evolution and all these different things, the secular-type things we teach our children. And uh, the generations today is that we're trying to diminish God and elevate us. And whenever we do that, we're headed for trouble, just like Saul was. He reminds Saul of his humility. In chapter 9, verse 21, these are Saul's words. Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family is the least of all the families in the tribe of Benjamin. Saul, when he was anointed, said, hey, I'm not worthy. Look how far he's come in such a short time. It doesn't take long if we allow pride to start rooting, uh, taking root in our lives. It does not take long for us to start elevating ourselves, looking much bigger in our own eyes, and God looks much smaller. This is something that takes, going back to what we talked about Sunday morning, we've got to watch the pride in our life. Saul was a nobody when God anointed him, or had him anointed king, and Saul knew it then. Now he does not realize it or he's not uh, he's not accepting it anyway he has no excuse for becoming proud and doing his own thing but position often ruins character we were just talking about that the other night uh you know you give a man uh, a lot of men can do well in poverty and low position but you give them some power and they become tyrants uh, this is what happened to saul and so uh, a position or power or means can often ruin a person uh, it might be why God keeps us poorer sometimes. and keeps us having less of those things so that we stay right. Pride promotes disobedience. Humility is an asset. It's not a liability. Although many people look at humility as a liability, it is an asset. Uh, it is not a, a disadvantage to be humble. But Saul blew this uh, advantage he had by yielding to pride. So he, he reminded of his anointing, his abasement, and then his assignment. Verse 18. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. He reminded him again about his orders about the destruction of Amalek. 
he essentially is reminding him that the assignment was very clear. And there, we, we try to muddle it up. We even do this a lot with this book right here. We have clear instruction in here. Somebody said, the, and I, I agree, the Christian life is not complicated. It's, it's not easy to live, but it's not complicated. We know what we're supposed to do. Uh, the fruits of the Spirit are not that complicated. We know that we're supposed to go to church. We know that we're supposed to pray. We know that we're supposed to avoid uh, these sins, and we're supposed to do these things. It's very clear about these things, and yet we try to muddle these things up sometimes so that we can avoid our responsibility. Saul was told to totally destroy the Amalekites. The clarity of the assignment is an advantage for disobedience. But he did not take the advantage. He ignored that, and it makes the disobedience all the more inexcusable. That's why Samuel brings it up. Brings up the fact that who you were when God put you in this position, what he told you to do. He's basically building a case, like a good lawyer, for, Samuel, for Saul's disobedience and how bad it really was. We have no excuse still today for disobedience. We just don't have it. We make excuses, but we don't have excuses. Just because we make them doesn't mean that they'll be excused. Then he reveals, verse 16, I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. We saw earlier that God had told Samuel about Saul's disobedience. And here we learn what he revealed to him. Uh, look at verse 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? This is the essence of his disobedience, that he disobeyed God's word. Can I tell you, this is the fundamental character of every sin we commit. We're disobeying God's word. God's word is our guide. That's what our, It's right in our uh, faith statement of our church, that the Bible is our basis for our faith and practice. Everything that we say, everything that we believe, everything that we promote, uh, it comes from this book, either by precept or by principle, we try to obey the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God is the authority in our lives. Disregard it, and you disobey God. This explains why Satan loves to keep you out of this book. I, now, I know you're probably, some of you are way more spiritual than me. I own that, but uh, I, would you agree it's not easy to read this book every day? I mean, it's not. It's one of the hardest things in my Christian life for me to do. I don't get distracted when I'm reading the newspaper like I do when I'm reading the Bible. I don't think of a million things I have to do when I'm reading a good book. Not that there's a book better, you know what I'm saying. Another book that's interesting. I don't get distracted like I do when I'm reading the Bible. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you in this book. The only thing that terrifies Satan about you is when you're on your knees or when you're in this book. Because you don't have the power to scare him. Greater is he that is in you, not you and not me. And so we need to be in this book. He wants to keep you out of it. He attacks then through the world. He attacks its authority. He attacks its relevance in our lives by the things that we uh, are, are promoting in our society today. And uh, my goodness, the things that... Could you get more basic than attacking gender in the beginning? Man and woman made he them. And now Satan's even attacking that. Uh, after he's, we've seen decades of attack on the very, very, very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see these attacks, and it's not, it's not a coincidence, friends. It is an, a specific attack on the Word of God, because Satan does not want us living by this, and God does want us living by it, and we need to be faithful in it. Then we see the eagerness of his disobedience. We, we touched on this last week. 
Wherefore then, verse 19, then didst thou not obey the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil. What that's basically saying, there was passion in his disobedience. He flew to it. He was excited about it. I mean, you had, you had a lot of, of wealth there, and he went after it. Remember last week we talked about the fact that he, he, he killed all the lame and the weak and the sick animals. He kept the good, healthy, robust ones to sacrifice to the Lord. It was for himself what he was getting these things for. So he, uh, he, he flew to it. There's eagerness in his sin. And man, there is eagerness in sin today. People fly, they work to sin. They, they, go, they, they go out of their way to, go, to be involved in their sin and uh, don't have that same passion to do what's right. That's just the society we live in. It's a temptation for us too. Then verse 19 continues, Thou is evil in the sight of the Lord. He not only revealed to him what he did, he told Saul it was evil. Saul did not think his disobedience was evil. Remember what he said? I have obeyed the Lord when Samuel first called him out on it. Can I tell you that people rarely think that their evil is evil? They don't. Normal, just people living their life, they don't think their evil is evil. Living together before marriage and all sorts of other hosts of, of things people do today without ever thinking about it. They don't, they don't recognize that as evil. Well, that's because we've abandoned the Word of God and we're not following that. So uh, can I again say that what, what, when we go through Judges, we talked about this, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He, did, he didn't think he was being evil, but God said over and over and over in the book of Judges, they were evil, they were evil again, they did evil again, they did evil again. It says it over and over in the book of Judges. Because, friends, what God thinks is much more important than what we think. And God will not judge us according to what we think. But it was legal. No, that's not what God judges us by. God judges us by his standard, not our standard. And so when Saul says, I did obey God, and God says, you disobeyed, who's right and who's wrong? <laughs> it's every time, even though we continue to play that game, we still today approve many things that God calls evil. We legalize things like lottery, and abortion, gay marriage. And the list is long. If God says it's wrong, right, wrong is wrong, though all condone it. Right is right, though all condemn it. And we need to remember that. The Bible cause, uh, has the final word on that. And then uh, let's go down to verse 20 and 21. He elaborates a little more. Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone the way the Lord sent me. And I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the spoil. Saul's response is, it's like Samuel when he showed up, hands him a shovel, and he just starts digging himself a hole. And the more he talks, the more of a hole he digs for himself. You ever been there? I've been there. And you, just the more you say, the worse it is. If, if he would have just listened to the word stay or stop talking, he would have been better off. But now he just keeps on going. And it shows us here the same thing that we deal with today. It is difficult to show sinners the sinfulness of their sin. I deal with it all the time. And even in counseling and personal conversations too, it's hard to show people their sin. Uh, they, they all have a problem that results from their sin, and they want a solution to that problem, but the last thing they want for you to do is to address the sin that caused that problem. People don't want to hear that. Neither did Saul. Neither do we, if we're honest. We don't, we don't like to have our sin pointed out to us. But this just puts him in worse light. 
He says, I have obeyed. Incredibly, he tries to pass off the sparing of Agag as obedience. I have obeyed, and then he says, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. God had said, kill him, and he brought him. I have obeyed by doing exactly what God said not to do. I did, and I've obeyed. See the twistedness in, in the sinner's mind? When we start to rationalize sin in our life and we start to make excuses for it, soon we get so twisted up that we think we're obeying God by doing exactly what he says do not do. It's a bad place to be in our life. You can't just say something and make it true, amen? You have to uh, test that with the word of God. So the, the, the sinner's mind is twisted. It talks about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, when men persist in their sin, it's talking about in that verse, and it says that they profess themselves to be wise and become fools. That's what sin does to us. Sin makes us stupid, makes us really, really stupid. Uh, we talked about that a little bit on Sunday too. Uh, th those that uh, avoid, you know, we get caught up in pride and sin. It makes us very, very stupid. Then uh, his rescue of Agag, and then his rule over the people. He says, the people took of the spoil, which should have been utterly destroyed. Now, finally he admits that it was wrong, but it was the people, not him. He's finally getting to the idea here, starting to accept the premise that this was a sin and it was wrong, but he doesn't accept it. He puts it on the shoulders of the people. Again, sinners uh, have, have an unwitting habit of condemning themselves. We do it. Uh, if, you, if you've ever raised kids, you know that happens a lot with kids. They can condemn themselves. Uh, he was in charge. So if the people do it, and he's over the people, who's ultimately responsible? What was it, Harry Truman? The buck stops here? Who said that? You remember. Yeah, okay. Harry Truman. Uh, e either way, Saul's admitting here one of two things. That he couldn't stop the people, which made him weak. Or that uh, he, uh, he, he could not stop them, or he would not stop them because he approved. So either way, it speaks of Saul being a bad king. He was either a compromising king or a weak king. In either case, he shouldn't be king. God just said that anyway. He's going to remove his kingship from him. Verse 21, he again mentions this, which should have been utterly destroyed, admitting the people were wrong. This, Saul said this. He admitted they were wrong, but it says that says that Saul knew it was wrong all along. But now he's admitting to it. It says he didn't sin because of ignorance. Don't miss this. He sinned because of rebellion. We can claim ignorance, but 99.999, that's an official correct uh, percentage of the time we sin out of willfulness, not out of ignorance, as Saul did here. We sin because we want to. We don't sin because we're ignorant of that evil. And then, catch this. This is We can easily miss this. But look what he says in verse 21 at the very end. He says, we took those things to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. That's interesting to me. Now it's not even the Lord my God anymore. Now he's telling Samuel, want to sacrifice to your, your God. And uh, that is a, that, that's just a little, I think it's maybe was a little Freudian slip on his side, but he, he's, he's trying to distance that a little bit. It shows he had a poor relationship with God and it indicts him all the more. Now, the next thing Samuel said, and we'll close with this, I just have a minute and a half here, but the most well-known part of this chapter 
if we learn this truth, oh my, if we learn this truth, what it would do for us. Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice is in obeying the voice of the Lord. We are so good at sacrifices. Doing, doing, doing. Service is sometimes the enemy, enemy of worship because we get so wrapped up in doing things that we're not being obedient. So uh, he, he, nothing pleases God like obedience. Nothing. Sacrifices, that's all good. Hey, should we sacrifice? Amen. Should we give in the offering plate? Amen. Yeah, that's all part of it. But nothing pleases him more than obedience. And we're not going to put an extra large check in to make up for disobedience because obedience is better than sacrifice. We've got to remember that. And then he goes on to uh, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Now, do we need to go in how wicked witchcraft is? We, we all recognize that, hopefully. And yet he says that's how bad rebellion is. Young people, catch that. Catch that principle. Rebellion against your parents, against God, is like the sin of witchcraft in God's eyes. It's uh, just as sinful. Now, Saul's rebellion cost him the throne. The judgment on Saul, don't, don't miss this part either, the judgment on Saul said that his rebellion to God was not trivial. It was a big deal. I don't care if Saul recognized it or not. It was a big deal. And God showed that it was a big deal by the consequences. And here's a truth. In fact, I, I challenge young people, anybody really, but I challenge young people to do something. I, had, uh, I did this when I was a teenager. Um, wrote, write this out on a card, stick it up on your room somewhere so you can see it regularly. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. And sometimes when you sin a sin and you get a consequence, that shows us that the sin wasn't a sin, the sin was a sin. You understand what I'm saying? So, so Saul, no big deal, no big deal. We saved some of them to sacrifice the Lord. It was a good thing. No, it wasn't a good thing. And so when he tried to minimize his sin, that didn't fly with God. And he suffered a big consequence which showed how big his sin was. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequences. And your consequences will often show you how big of a sin that was. Look at verse 23. We didn't read it uh, before. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. There was his consequence. He lost his throne. Not only that, but we read, we read a couple of weeks ago, not only did he lose the throne himself, his heirs lost it. He, he lost the dynasty, which means nobody in his family would continue in it. Cost it. Cost him everything. That's the cost of disobedience. Disobedience can cost us everything. It's so important for us. And then Saul, in verse, uh, I can't go into it now, but in verses 24 and 25, he confesses his sin, but it's not a good confession. Saul's like that kid that doesn't confess until they get caught. And then when they get caught, they confess, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But if they hadn't gotten caught, they'd continue in doing what they're doing. I say kid, adults too. I'm not picking on you. We all do that kind of stuff, don't we? So here's Saul, uh, and he, once he's caught, once he hears, you're not along with king. Oh, I'm so sorry, he says in verse 24, I have sinned, I have transgressed against the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. If he'd have stopped there, it may have been a little better, but he says, now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me. I want my position back. I think this was a very weak confession. Don't take it away. 
He, he, didn't, he, he only confessed because he realized what he was about to lose. Might have sounded good on the surface, but it was win, window dressing to gain favor from Samuel and to also gain his position back. It didn't happen. And then one more thing I want to point out before we close in prayer here, but verse 24, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. If you in your life get to ever get to the point where you feel, fear what people think more than what God thinks, you're always headed down, always. We have got to put God as the supreme uh, guide for us. He, we, we have to live our lives to please an audience of one. And by the way, that's a lot easier than trying to please an audience of many. Uh, live for him. He, he cared more about what people thought than he cared about what God thought. It'll always lead into sin. It'll always lead into trouble with God. So let me ask you in closing tonight, who do you fear in your life? Is it God? Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of man leads to a snare. You're always going to get in trouble by fearing people. Uh, if, if you, like Saul, are more concerned about being popular, you'll end up fearing people instead of God. That was Saul's concern. He wanted to be popular. Uh, he, did, he did a couple of good things in the beginning. It made him really popular and went to his head. And he had to buy new hats because all of a sudden nothing fit anymore. Uh, that's what happens. So let's uh, make the right choices. Father, thank you for this passage.